Chapter Nine of Erasmus and the Age of Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Erasmus and the Age of Reformation by Johann Huizinga. Translated by Frederick Jan Hopman. Chapter Nine the praise of folly while he rode over the mountain passes erasmus's restless spirit now unfettered for some days by set tasks occupied itself with everything he had studied and read in the last few years and with everything he had seen what ambition what self-deception what pride and conceit filled the world he thought of thomas more whom he was now to see again that most witty and wise of all his friends with that curious name moros the greek word for a fool which so ill became his personality anticipating the gay jests which more's conversation promised there grew in his mind that masterpiece of humour and wise irony morii enconium the praise of folly the world as the scene of universal folly folly as the indispensable element making life and society possible and all this put into the mouth of stultitia folly itself true antitype of minerva who in a panegyric on her own power and usefulness praises herself as to form it is a declamatio such as he had translated from the greek of libanius as to the spirit a revival of lucian whose gallus translated by him three years before may have suggested the theme it must have been in the incomparably lucid moments of that brilliant intellect all the particulars of classic reading which the year before he worked up in the new edition of the adagia were still at his immediate disposal in that retentive and capacious memory reflecting at his ease on all that wisdom of the ancients he secreted the juices required for his expostulation he arrived in london took up his abode in moore's house in bucklesbury and there tortured by nephritic pains he wrote down in a few days without having his books with him the perfect work of art that must have been ready in his mind stultitia was truly born in the manner of her serious sister pallas as to form and imagery the moria is faultless the product of the inspired moments of creative impulse the figure of an orator confronting her public is sustained to the last in a masterly way we see the faces of the auditors light up with glee when folly appears in the pulpit we hear the applause interrupting her words there is a wealth of fancy coupled with so much soberness of line and colour such reserve that the whole presents a perfect instance of that harmony which is the essence of renaissance expression there is no exuberance in spite of the multiplicity of matter and thought but a temperateness a smoothness an airiness and clearness which are as gladdening as they are relaxing 
in order perfectly to realize the artistic perfection of erasmus's book we should compare it with rabelais without me says folly the world cannot exist for a moment for is not all that is done at all among mortals full of folly is it not performed by fools and for fools no society no cohabitation can be pleasant or lasting without folly so much so that a people could not stand its prince nor the master his man nor the maid her mistress nor the tutor his pupil nor the friend his friend nor the wife her husband for a moment longer if they did not now and then err together now flatter each other now sensibly conniving at things now smearing themselves with some honey of folly in that sentence the summary of the loss is contained folly here is worldly wisdom resignation and lenient judgment he who pulls off the masks in the comedy of life is ejected what is the whole life of mortals but a sort of play in which each actor appears on the boards in his specific mask and acts his part till the stage manager calls him off he acts wrongly who does not adapt himself to existing conditions and demands that the game shall be a game no longer it is the part of the truly sensible to mix with all people either conniving readily at their folly or affably erring like themselves and the necessary driving power of all human action is folotia folly's own sister self-love he who does not please himself effects little take away that condiment of life and the word of the orator cools the poet is laughed at the artist perishes with his art folly in the garb of pride of vanity of vain glory is the hidden spring of all that is considered high and great in this world the state with its posts of honor patriotism and national pride the stateliness of ceremonies the delusion of caste and nobility what is it but folly war the most foolish thing of all is the origin of all heroism what prompted the deciuses what courteous to sacrifice themselves vainglory it is this folly which produces states through her empires religion law courts exist this is bolder and more chilling than machiavelli more detached than montaigne but erasmus will not have it credited to him it is folly who speaks he purposely makes us tread the round of the circulus vitiosus as in the old saw a cretan said all cretans are liars wisdom is to folly as reason is to passion and there is much more passion than reason in the world that which keeps the world going the fount of life is folly for what else is love why do people marry if not out of folly which sees no objections all enjoyment and amusement is only a condiment of folly when a wise man wishes to become a father he has first to play the fool 
for what is more foolish than the game of procreation unperceived the orator has incorporated here with folly all that is vitality and the courage of life folly is spontaneous energy that no one can do without he who is perfectly sensible and serious cannot live the more people get away from me stultitia the less they live why do we kiss and cuddle little children if not because they are still so delightfully foolish and what else makes youth so elegant now look at the truly serious and sensible they are awkward at everything at meal-time at a dance in playing in social intercourse if they have to buy or to contract things are sure to go wrong quintilian says that stage fright bespeaks the intelligent orator who knows his faults right but does not then quintilian confess openly that wisdom is an impediment to good execution and has not stultitia the right to claim prudence for herself if the wise out of shame out of bashfulness undertake nothing in circumstances where fools pluckily set to work here erasmus goes to the root of the matter in a psychological sense indeed the consciousness of falling short in achievement is the brake-clogging action is the great inertia retarding the progress of the world did he know himself for one who is awkward when not bending over his books but confronting men and affairs folly is gaiety and light-heartedness indispensable to happiness the man of mere reason without passion is a stone image blunt and without any human feeling a spectre or monster from whom all fly deaf to all natural emotions susceptible neither to love nor compassion nothing escapes him in nothing he errs he sees through everything he weighs everything accurately he forgives nothing he is only satisfied with himself he alone is healthy he alone is king he alone is free it is the hideous figure of the doctrinaire which erasmus is thinking of which state he exclaims would desire such an absolutely wise man for a magistrate he who devotes himself to tasting all the bitterness of life with wise insight would forthwith deprive himself of life only folly is a remedy to err to be mistaken to be ignorant is to be human how much better it is in marriage to be blind to a wife's shortcomings than to make away with oneself out of jealousy and to fill the world with tragedy adulation is virtue there is no cordial devotion without a little adulation it is the soul of eloquence of medicine and poetry it is the honey and the sweetness of all human customs again a series of valuable social qualities is slyly incorporated with folly benevolence kindness inclination to approve and to admire but especially to approve of oneself 
there is no pleasing others without beginning by flattering ourselves a little and approving of ourselves what would the world be if every one was not proud of his standing his calling so that no person would change places with another in point of good appearance of fancy of good family of landed property humbug is the right thing why should any one desire true erudition the more incompetent a man the pleasanter his life is and the more he is admired look at professors poets orators man's mind is so made that he is more impressed by lies than by the truth go to church if the priest deals with serious subjects the whole congregation is dozing yawning feeling bored but when he begins to tell some cock-and-bull story they awake sit up and hang on his lips to be deceived philosophers say is a misfortune but not to be deceived is a superlative misfortune if it is human to err why should a man be called unhappy because he errs since he was so born and made and it is the fate of all do we pity a man because he cannot fly or does not walk on four legs we might as well call the horse unhappy because it does not learn grammar or eat cakes no creature is unhappy if it lives according to its nature the sciences were invented to our utmost destruction far from conducing to our happiness they are even in its way though for its sake they are supposed to have been invented by the agency of evil demons they have stolen into human life with the other pests for did not the simple-minded people of the golden age live happily unprovided with any science only led by nature and instinct what did they want grammar for when all spoke the same language why have dialectics when there were no quarrels and no differences of opinion why jurisprudence when there were no bad morals from which good laws sprang they were too religious to investigate with impious curiosity the secrets of nature the size motions influence of the stars the hidden cause of things it is the old idea which germinated in antiquity here lightly touched upon by erasmus afterwards proclaimed by rousseau in bitter earnest civilization is a plague wisdom is misfortune but self-conceit is happiness grammarians who wield the sceptre of wisdom schoolmasters that is would be the most wretched of all people if i folly did not mitigate the discomforts of their miserable calling by a sort of sweet frenzy but what holds good of schoolmasters also holds good of poets orators authors for them too all happiness merely consists in vanity and delusion the lawyers are no better off and after them come the philosophers next there is a numerous procession of clergy divines monks bishops cardinals popes only interrupted by princes and courtiers 
in the chapters which review these offices and callings satire has shifted its ground a little throughout the work two themes are intertwined that of salutary folly which is true wisdom and that of deluded wisdom which is pure folly as they are both put into the mouth of folly we should have to invert them both to get truth if folly were not wisdom now it is clear that the first is the principal theme erasmus starts from it and he returns to it only in the middle as he reviews human accomplishments and dignities in their universal foolishness the second theme predominates and the book becomes an ordinary satire on human folly of which there are many though few are so delicate but in the other parts it is something far deeper occasionally the satire runs somewhat off the line when stultitia directly censures what erasmus wishes to censure for instance indulgences silly belief in wonders selfish worship of the saints or gamblers whom she folly ought to praise or the spirit of systematizing and leveling and the jealousy of the monks for contemporary readers the importance of the laws stultitiae was to a great extent in the direct satire its lasting value is in those passages where we truly grant that folly is wisdom and the reverse erasmus knows the aloofness of the ground of all things all consistent thinking out of the dogmas of faith leads to absurdity only look at the theological quiddities of effete scholasticism the apostles would not have understood them in the eyes of latter-day divines they would have been fools holy scripture itself sides with folly the foolishness of god is wiser than men says st paul but god hath chosen the foolish things of the world it pleased god by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe christ loved the simple-minded and the ignorant children women poor fishermen nay even such animals as are farthest removed from vulpine cunning the ass which he wished to ride the dove the lamb the sheep here there is a great deal behind the seemingly light jest christian religion seems in general to have some affinity with a certain sort of folly was it not thought the apostles were full of new wine and did not the judge say paul thou art beside thyself when are we beside ourselves when the spirit breaks its fetters and tries to escape from its prison and aspires to liberty that is madness but it is also otherworldliness and the highest wisdom true happiness is in selflessness in the furor of lovers whom plato calls happiest of all the more absolute love is the greater and more rapturous is the frenzy heavenly bliss itself is the greatest insanity truly pious people enjoy its shadow on earth already in their meditations here stultitia breaks off her discourse apologizing in a few words in case she may have been too petulant or talkative 
and leaves the pulpit so farewell applaud live happily and drink moria's illustrious initiates it was an unrivalled feat of art even in these last chapters neither to lose the light comical touch nor to lapse into undisguised profanation it was only feasible by veritable dancing on the tight-rope of sophistry in the moria erasmus is all the time hovering on the brink of profound truths but what a boon it was still granted to those times to be able to treat of all this in a vein of pleasantry for this should be impressed upon our minds that the moriae enconium is a true gay jest the laugh is more delicate but no less hearty than rabelais alite plaudite vivite bibite all common people abound to such a degree and everywhere in so many forms of folly that a thousand democratuses would be insufficient to laugh at them all and they would require another democratus to laugh at them how could one take the moria too seriously when even moore's utopia which is a true companion-piece to it and makes such a grave impression on us is treated by its author and erasmus as a mere jest there is a place where the loss seems to touch both moore and rabelais the place where stultitia speaks of her father plutus the god of wealth at whose beck all things are turned topsy-turvy according to whose will all human affairs are regulated war and peace government and council justice and treaties he has begotten her on the nymph youth not a senile purblind plutus but a fresh god warm with youth and nectar like another gargantua the figure of folly of gigantic size looms large in the period of the renaissance she wears a fool's cap and bells people laughed loudly and with unconcern at all that was foolish without discriminating between species of folly it is remarkable that even in the laws delicate as it is the author does not distinguish between the unwise or the silly between fools and lunatics holbein illustrating erasmus knows but of one representation of a fool with a staff and ass's ears erasmus speaks without clear transition now of foolish persons and now of real lunatics they are happiest of all he makes stultitia say they are not frightened by spectres and apparitions they are not tortured by the fear of impending calamities everywhere they bring mirth jests frolic and laughter evidently he here means harmless imbeciles who indeed were often used as jesters this identification of denseness and insanity is kept up however like the confusion of the comic and the simply ridiculous and all this is well calculated to make us feel how wide the gap has already become that separates us from erasmus in later years he always spoke slightingly of his moria he considered it so unimportant, he says, as to be unworthy of publication. 
yet no work of his had been received with such applause it was a trifle and not at all in keeping with his character moore had made him write it as if a camel were made to dance but these disparaging utterances were not without a secondary purpose the moria had not brought him only success and pleasure the exceedingly susceptible age in which he lived had taken the satire in very bad part where it seemed to glance at offices and orders although in his preface he had tried to safeguard himself from the reproach of irreverence his airy play with the texts of holy scripture had been too venturesome for many his friend martin van dorp upbraided him with having made a mock of eternal life erasmus did what he could to convince evil thinkers that the purpose of the moria was no other than to exhort people to be virtuous in affirming this he did his work injustice it was much more than that but in fifteen fifteen he was no longer what he had been in fifteen o nine repeatedly he had been obliged to defend his most witty work had he known that it would offend he might have kept it back he writes in fifteen seventeen to an acquaintance at louvain even towards the end of his life he warded off the insinuations of alberto pio of carpi in a lengthy expostulation erasmus made no further ventures in the genre of the praise of folly one might consider the treatise lingua which he published in fifteen twenty five as an attempt to make a companion piece to the moria the book is called of the use and abuse of the tongue in the opening pages there is something that reminds us of the style of the laws but it lacks all the charm both of form and of thought should one pity erasmus because of all his publications collected in ten folio volumes only the praise of folly has remained a really popular book it is apart from the colloquies perhaps the only one of his works that is still read for its own sake the rest is now only studied from a historical point of view for the sake of becoming acquainted with his person or his times it seems to me that perfect justice has been done in this case the praise of folly is his best work he wrote other books more erudite some more pious some perhaps of equal or greater influence on his time but each has had its day morii and conium alone was to be immortal for only when humour illuminated that mind did it become truly profound in the praise of folly erasmus gave something that no one else could have given to the world End of chapter 9